This is Shattered Lives, an Irish Daily Star podcast. I'm Paul Healy. The murder of Bobby Ryan is considered to be one of the most shocking murders that Ireland has ever seen. The popular DJ, known by the stage name Mr Moonlight, was found dead in a disused slurry pit in April of 2013. By that stage, the Tipperary father of two had been missing for 22 months. What followed was a tale of a bitter love rivalry and greed over land, and what turned out to be the longest murder trial in the history of the state. In 2019, farmer Patrick Quirk was finally convicted of the murder of Bobby Ryan after a lengthy investigation and trial. However, he quickly launched an appeal of that conviction and is now awaiting the results of his appeal. Michelle Ryan, the daughter of Bobby Ryan, sat down for this podcast to finally speak her truth about everything she felt about the trial, the murder of her father, and her continued fight for justice to this day. Michelle Ryan feels that even though someone was convicted of the murder of her father, other people were involved, and she feels that the justice system has ultimately let her down. So Michelle, thank you for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Who was Bobby Ryan? What can you tell us about your father? Um, well, he was a, a local DJ in Cashel and a truck driver in Clockquarry. That's basically him in a nutshell. Um, we just love a, a person that just generally love life. And he was a DJ and kind of colloquially known as that. Well, his stage name was Mister Moonlight, and that is an infamous term that's kind of become associated with the whole yeah. case whether it's fortunately or unfortunately. But um, he, he tell us a bit about that, Mr. Moonlight. How did he get that name? Oh, well, now th- this has been a question I've asked, been asked loads of times. And I, I actually think it came from a song that he used to sing the whole time. Um, so he just picked it and ran with it. And I think it actually, it was, it was a fit name for him because it was so kind of like out of the blue. Like, do you know what I mean? So it, it really and truly did suit yeah. him when he when he came home and said, oh, Mr. Moonlight, and there's the carriage. I was like, yeah, typical, typical. <laughs> no explanation for this. So we'll just run with the whole song idea. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's where it did, that name did surface from was a song. And your father was known far and wide, not just in Cashel, but across, like all across Tipperary. He was, he was that kind of character, oh, wasn't gotcha. he? yeah. He was because like before he took into the DJ and he was in a band um, named Drop Zone. So like music was very much so a part of who he was. Um, as I said, he was in the band and then he progressed then into DJing. And I think it was when he went into the DJing that he really and truly opened up to everybody across the board, young, middle, old. Do you know what I mean? It was kind of like, he he found his two feet at the DJ and he just ran with it. And I think like that anybody that has had um, the experience of meeting daddy in that setting or playing for their weddings or anything, they're all saying, you know, oh, he made the night. You know, yeah. he was just a character from the time he walked in to the time he left. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Take us to June 2011. Um, yeah. And the day your father went missing. Can you remember, firstly, the last conversation you had with him, the last time that you spoke to him that day? Oh, that, that'll that be vivid. Yeah, um, it's, like, it's like Anton, really. Um, yeah, the, the last conversation I had with him, he was kind of betwixt and between, we call it. Um, he was uh, in, in a relationship, I call it. And he rang me for advice in relation to that. And I, I think I'm kind of... The, the saying really has kind of gone worldwide at this stage. You know, my advice to him was to P45. This woman. Um, this particular person, this woman. Yeah. So, um, you know, he, he rang me back and he said, I'm after taking your advice. I'm after, you know, cooling the whole thing down. He said, look, he said, my head isn't in it. He said, I'm not far. He's not far one for playing games or, you know, tis tis clear cut yes. or tis nothing at all. You know, this whole saga from one to the other that that was never going to mm. like pacify with my father anyway, because he wasn't a man for that. He wasn't a confrontational man. You know what I mean? He was just he was a jolly, happy go lucky person. 
And I think we say when certain renovations came to light, that that really kind of got him thinking. And he kind of came to a conclusion himself, but I think he wanted an opinion on it. And he always respected my opinion because he knew that he'd get it straight from the hip, regardless if it was what he wanted to hear or not. He knew he'd get the honest answer. So that was my advice to him on that day. So so on that day, your, your father was going to go and break up this relationship. Uh, yeah, it was done over the phone. Mary Lowry, we better introduce the name. Mary Lowry is the, the woman we're speaking about. Um, your father was in a relationship with her. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as you said, there was issues and he was ready to end it. So there was that conversation over the phone. What What happened next? How did he end up going over to meet her? This is... This is a question I'll, I'll I'll ask myself probably until until the day that I that I die myself. Um, I, I don't know. I do not know why he went across that night. Um, he came home from work the evening before. Um, it was my brother's girlfriend in the house with um my brother's child, and my father's phone was hopping. There was text messages, this and that, and. He he said to Leanne, he said, um, I better go across, he said, and see what's wrong before she lands over. And Leanne said, that's fine. So Daddy asked her, like, will you be all right? He said, I, I won't be too long. And Leanne said, yeah, no, I'll be fine. And he locked the door on the way out. And that was the last anyone ever saw or heard from him again. When did it get to the point where you realised something was wrong? Um, it was the following, the following morning, my brother had, my brother had rang me. Um, I suppose maybe in around, we call it 10 o'clock and I've written at a hundred percent precise on the time at, at this minute, but we call it about 10 o'clock. He rang me and he said, Shelley, he said, did you hear anything from daddy this morning? I said, no. I said, why is it? Is everything all right? He said, um, his boots in the lunchbox, he said, are, are still here. And I turned around and I said, right. And he said, uh, Leanne, he said, had a visit, he said, from Niall Quinn. And, and I knew Niall as being daddy's boss, you know. And I turned around and I said, daddy's boss? And he said, yeah. I said, well, why is he calling to the house? And he said, well, that, the father never showed up for work. So I said to Robert, I said, look, I said, don't panic now. I mean, it, I said, because it was an absolute beautiful day. Um, yeah. I said, look, he said, he could have been after taking the day off, knowing full right and well in the pit of my stomach that Niall would not have been there if Daddy was taking the day off because Daddy would have notified Niall to make sure that Niall had someone there to drive the truck for Daddy for the day. It, I knew that deep down, but I suppose um, I wanted to rule out. You know, like you would, like you, your first, your your first initial reaction isn't. It's not. Well, Jesus, after coming to harm, you know, it's 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 never that, and like even when I found his van inside in the woods, I still want to draw some other kind of a conclusion instead of, well, something is after happening to him. Uh, can we can we talk about that? Just how, how that came about, how you ended up finding the van? Um, well, I continued over to my aunt's in Borisley. Uh, Robert was going over to the quarry and he said that he'd ring me once he got to the, the quarry. And I was just heading in my aunt's gate and Robert rang me and he said, Shelley said, the van isn't in Kalak, he said, or they haven't heard from him. So I suppose at that stage then it was like, it was like alarm bells. Um, it was like a hundred different scenarios going off in the one go. And my my other aunt was in my aunt's house, her two sisters, and she she, she kind of saw that I was panicky. And she said, you're not going down on your own. She said, we'll go down and get my husband, Liam. And she said, we'll go with you. So that was fine anyway. Drove down to her house and she went in, got Liam or whatever. And I rang Clonmel Hospital while I was waiting outside. I tried ringing Daddy again. Um, I think I rang Robert as well. But anyway, she came out and she got into the back of my car. And I said, and I said, we're going to either find Daddy or the van inside in the woods. Haven't a clue where that feeling or even what maybe said it, say, say it like it just came out as if it was as if it was normal that daddy would be inside in the woods or go walking in the woods. The man used to have us terrified of a woods. So I don't even know why that came into me. And you just had a feeling. It, it was it wasn't even a feeling. It was just like 
It was like as if I turned around and said, uh, sure, yeah, I'll have a cup of coffee. It was just like that. I have no mm. explanation as to where or why what made me say that. Do you know? So, um, yeah, uh, we, went, we went down then by, on by Ballycal Dundrum because I didn't specifically pick Kilshan Woods. It was A Woods. So there was a, a wooded area in Dundrum and I said to my Uncle Liam, I said, we need to go down by Dundrum and we'd say it was a small car park at the front of it and you see the van the van wasn't like it wasn't a van that would be sheltered by no means it would stand out at you and we slowed down passing and the van wasn't there and we continued on then to Tipperary Town but the minute we got to Tipperary Town it was like I had this sensation over my whole body that I just wasn't able to breathe like something was pressing on my neck and I said to my my uncle Nima take me to the to the guard station now I said I need to go to the guard station you were with Mary Lowry when you found the van. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about that? Yeah. Um, so went into the Garda station and told them the scenario or whatever and left the Garda station, went down and tried my father's friend, which would be Mary Glasheen. Tried her house just to see if he was there, if the van was there, but there was no answer from her house and the van wasn't there. So my aunt said, Michelle, your phone is ringing. So I came running back to the car and it was uh, Mary Lowry. And she said to me, she says, uh, where are you? I said, I'm here. I said, at Mary Glasheen's um, house. And she said, oh, come out to my house. Now, I didn't know where. I knew it was Bansha because I have my, heard my, obviously heard my father saying that it was Bansha. But where it was, I couldn't tell you. I like The description I got from daddy was it's up a drive. It's a greenhouse up on a drive. So like, I mean, out in Bansha, I wasn't familiar with the area. So I said to her, I said, Mary, I, said, I don't know where you live. And she said, uh, wait there. She said, I'll be in in five minutes. So waited there anyway. And when she came in to Mary Glasheen's estate, she was she was visibly upset. You know, there was the crying, there was the shaking. And I said to my aunt and my uncle, I said, I better travel with her. I said, because I said, you know, something's going on. I said, she, she's, said she's shaking. I said, I have to go with her. So I said, will you follow me on in my car? And they said, we will. So, um... You know, she said, we'll go to my house for, for tea. And it was like it was like that same thing that came over me in Boris Lee. I turned around, like I knew there was a bench of wood, but where Mary's house was and where the, the, the wood was, I hadn't a clue. So I just said to her, I said, Mary, I said, there's a, a bench of wood. And she said, yeah. I said, how close is that? Or how far would it be from your house? And she said, about a mile and a half or two miles. And I turned around and I goes, right, so we need to go there first. And she said, no, shall we go to my house for tea first? I said, Mary, I said, I need to go rule that out. She said, if the van or daddy isn't there, I said, then we'll have tea. But I need to rule that out. And can I just ask you, obviously, Mary had seen your father the night before mm-hmm. um, because he'd gone over to see her. So you must have asked her what happened. When when did he leave your house? And she told you. Yeah. Um, I before I got back to Boris Lee, just kind of kind of double back, and now before I got to Boris Lee, I um I said to Robert, I said, look, I have Mary's number, I'll ring her, and I ring Mary anyway, and I said, Mary, I said, did, did you see Daddy this morning? And she said, uh, oh yeah, she said everything was grand, we didn't have a row, everything was fine, he left for work. She said I saw him driving down the um the driveway, but I didn't see whether he went left or right. So I said, right, okay, so um. I don't think I don't think that conversation came up again in the car. I just remember looking at her and I was kind of like, like at this stage, yeah, there was alarm bells going in my head. Number one, I knew my father better than he knew himself. So I knew that daddy wasn't going to just leave Niall Quinn in the lurch without a driver for the lorry for the day. So um, like I still I won't say it was a sense of calmness because I knew something wasn't right. But never imagined exactly the extent of it. So it wasn't until we drove into the woods. I don't even think Mary Lowry had her car stopped. I I jumped out of her car and it was like I was running what seemed like forever to get to that van. Um, and I was able to open the driver's door and I took his, his diary off them. It was on the middle seat of the van. And I opened it and I took out his license and I was looking at his picture running down behind the van at the dead end, calling his name. Um, 
then my aunt sent my uncle Liam, I think it was, into the wood for me. It wasn't even the wood, it was a dead end behind the van. And uh, she told him to come down and get me because she was ringing the guards to say that we had located the van. What what was it? What was it like just to, to to just describe that feeling of you know? I mean, you were as you say, you were just randomly looking in a wood to to have just come across your father's van, like a bolt oh, in the blue. You know what was oh that God. like? Um, it was kind of like it was like an outer body experience. Like when I look back on it now, it was none other than an outer body experience. Number one, I'm running at the van. Number two, I'm able to open the van door. But I'm, it's like I'm standing over in the corner, looking at myself, screaming, Michelle, your father never left his van unlocked. This is not right. And it wasn't until I came back up with my uncle. Um, and the, the, the wood filled up. It, it filled up in a matter of minutes. And I remember there was um, a guard, Karen was her name. And... It was just like I needed, I don't even know why I asked to get into daddy's van because my own car was parked in in the car park at the wood. And I said to Karen, I said, look, I said, can I get in? I said to me, father's van, I said, I said, I just need five minutes. I said, because it was just like everybody was it's like I couldn't breathe. You know, you know that kind of sensation. It was like there was no breathing at all. And she said, look, she said, I shouldn't. She said, but she said, I promise that you won't touch anything. And I said, yeah, I said, I won't. So I got into daddy's van anyway, and I was there like, Jesus, daddy, like, where are you? This, this was, was a talking to myself. So like, Jesus, daddy, like, like, where are you? And I was looking around the van and there was there was nothing to, to, to suggest anything. And I just broke down crying. I just broke down crying and I went to put my head down on the steering wheel. And I noticed two things. The mat was scuffed under the pedals. And the seat had been pushed right back. And then I lifted my head and I was there, what's going on? And I saw the gear stick then. The gear stick was in either second or fourth, just down at the bottom anyway, second or fourth. And I said to myself, Jesus, I said, Daddy wasn't the last person driving this van. So out I hopped, went over to, to, to that guard of Karen. I said, Karen, I said, my father wasn't the last person driving that van. And she said, what do you mean? I said, the seat is pushed back to the back. I said, that's not the way he had positioned because I was very much so on the same height as daddy. So when I used to drive the van and daddy used to get in after me, he never had to adjust the seat and vice versa. So I knew exactly where that seat should have been when my father was in it. And that was not the case. So I immediately knew that this is when everything, all that gut churning that I got from the first phone call off Robert, that had all kind of revved up. And now we're in a situation where we do have to look for daddy. 22 months would pass. Mm -hmm. There were no answers. There was no sign of your father. Um, and all of a sudden it emerges um, that his body has been found and it's been found mm -hmm. Um, somewhere completely different. Um, can you talk about that day? Can yeah. you talk about getting that 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 phone call? Oh, that's uh, that's that that's I I like I mean with, with the twenty two months of physical sickness, search and torment. When I got that phone call on the thirtieth of April, um, it was two thousand thirteen. Two thousand thirteen. Yeah, it was about maybe one thirty ish when I got that phone call. Um, it paralyzed me. Um, I don't know what paralyzed me more. Was it the fact of where daddy was found? Or was it the fact that like, we, we knew that daddy wouldn't go away for 22 months and leave myself and Robert and the, his grandchildren and his brothers and like, like in pure turmoil. We knew it. But I think to get the clarification that well, your father did meet harm and this is where he has been for 22 months. It, it completely and utterly paralyzed me. And he was found in a, in a, um, what would we call it? A, a slurry tank, a pit? Um, a sarcophagus, was it, or something they called it? A concrete sarcophagus or something? Yeah, 
mm-hmm. and it was on uh, Mary Lowry's land um, mm-hmm. in Fauna Gown. So it was located close to her house, but it was located on the on the land itself. In a in a, it was like a disused tank, a runoff tank. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And who who found him? I'm Patrick Quirk. Probably a good time to introduce Patrick Quirk because. Mm-hmm. He is the man responsible for the murder of your father and he's currently serving life in prison for it. Patrick Quirk was a farmer and he was farming on Mary Lowry's land and had also been in a relationship himself with Mary Lowry uh, prior to your father being in a relationship with Mary Lowry. Um, So he found your father that day. Next thing, it probably went there. Is that right? You you, you tried to to, to get there. What, What happened next? Yeah. So got the phone call. Um, it paralyzed me. My I, I never even heard my 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 son getting into the back of the car. Um, and the little the, the little creator, like he he heard the conversation. Um. So, the the next the, the next thing to do was was to go down initially. So we went down. We we're standing at the side of the road, and it was uh. It was gut wrenching. It was like he was so close, but still so far away from us with all the searching that we had ever done around that woods, around that area. You'd searched that land. You'd been on that land several times. Yeah. After he went missing. Yeah. yeah. It was like so close, but still so far. You know, um, like it, when we found out where Daddy was. My initial thought, I know Robert's initial thought was, was he actually dead going in there? Or was he still alive? You know, when when we were searching for him, was he calling out for us to help him? Could he hear us? You know, could he hear us from a distance? Um, did he know that we were, that we were trying our damnedest to find him? But... It, it was just, it was just no good. It, it, um, like, no matter what, like, no matter where we would have searched, we would never have found him there. That required experts up there that knew about these farms and runoff tanks and, sure, that was, that was no match for us townies. Do you know what I mean? You know? Um, yeah, so, down the side of the road anyway, and, was just like it I, I I remember saying I can't actually remember who was standing beside me. Um I remember saying like Jesus what are the odds he's above there like what are the odds of this? And then um we saw I think it was a guard a car came down to drive first and then I went over to the drive and the horse came down and then uh, Superintendent O'Callaghan came down and he got out of the jeep talking to me. And he, he said he, he kept he kept saying to me, and I, 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 know, I know to this day why he kept saying to me, he said, just just keep focused on me because the horse, I was standing at the back of the horse. And as you as you can imagine, they're, they're, they're clear windows. And. I just I, I just said to Paddy, I said, is that daddy? And uh, obviously for, for operational reasons or whatever, he couldn't confirm nor deny at that time. Um, and I just looked into the back of the horse because I don't, I don't, I don't actually know why I looked in. I didn't even know what to, to what, what I was going to see when I looked in. But, you know, it was it was the body bag and, you know, it was it was flat. And uh, I knew without having to get the DNA done, without without having to get anything done like that to confirm that was daddy. I it was like it was like, yep, he's never going to be able to talk to you again, Michelle. But it was like, I won't even say a sense of calmness. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't describe the feeling, but it was like me saying to myself, daddy's home. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, I, I, I knew it. 
that feeling I had looking in there and to see that it was a black bag. But I said to myself, Daddy's home. Well, aside from that, it was crystal clear probably to you at that point, right? He's been murdered. Someone has taken yeah. his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the, the days turned into weeks then and, um, you know, there was obviously um, a murder investigation underway at that stage. And did you, did you at that, at that point have your suspicions as to who might be? Re- I did. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of always, from, we say, the, the first couple of weeks into actually searching for Daddy. Um, it was like, it was like I was hearing more and more and, you know, it was, I kind of like, I asked, you know, I asked certain questions and I knew by the answers that it was lies that I was getting back. So from that, I was thinking to myself then on stuff that daddy had told me, is it, is it possible? that this man could have harmed him, you know? So um, when it was actually um, confirmed as to the, the the man that was going to be convicted in the end to be Patrick Quark, I have to say it didn't come as any big surprise or shock. Did you know Patrick Quark well at the, uh, prior to your no. father's? Okay. So did you know, did you know much about him in the months that followed? Nothing. Um, I remember being up in Mary Lowry's property. I think it was a Sunday. And um, I don't even, I can't remember what, even what, what I went up there for. But I remember my car was parked over at the, uh, I, I'm, I'm even cold at the thoughts of it now because like literally where my car was parked on the stones, my father was only a few feet away from me at the other side of that gate. Um, and I remember this, this, this man, he was actually, he actually seemed taller than what he seemed throughout the trial, but I, I didn't know who Pat Cork was, but I said, I'd go over and I'd ask this man, did he hear of, you know, prowlers in the area or a, a thing like that, that, you know, what, like war farmers asked to be vigilant or, you know, the scenario in my head then was, well, did daddy become, you know, foul of people that were in the area, we say, you know, on farmers' lands or, you know, these kind of a thing. And um, he turned around and, and I says, um, oh, I said, do you know? I said, the man, I said, that's that's um, running the farm, I said, from Mary Lowry. And he said to me, he said, I am that man. And I remember, I, I it just, it stopped me in my tracks. I was there. Oh, Jesus. Because I had only ever heard of this man through what became of text messages and through what Mary Lowry had said the February before Daddy went missing. And I was just like, oh God, where do I go now? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Had you learned at that point that Mary Lowry was in a relationship prior with this fellow Patrick Quirk? I had. Yeah, I found out in the February before Daddy went missing. And 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 this would, as many people who follow the trial will be aware, become the 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 prime motive for for why he killed your father was because he was, he was jealous. Ultimately, he had been in a relationship with Mary Lowry, it had broken up, um, and then your father was in a relationship with Mary Lowry, and supposedly, uh, Patrick Quirk was jealous of that, and the motivation for killing your father was so that he could get back himself with Mary Lowry. Um, did you buy that? Did you think, you know? No. Um, I'm very adamant to that because, number one, the threat of Daddy stepping in the way of him rekindling with Mary Lowry again, that was gone. Like, that was one of the last conversations that I had with Daddy. And it's it's as vivid as as it was only yesterday. Um. So that was that gone out of the equation. As for Daddy muscling in, taking over land, well, I be straight honest with you, dear. Daddy had a little patch of land. It wasn't land. I'm correcting myself. It was a lawn, 
a little lawn outside his house um, where he lived and it was my brother Robert that used to have to cut it. Like the father had no, he had no interest, you know what I mean? That wasn't, wasn't his thing, you know what I mean? He had what he had. Yeah, well, sorry, just to contextualise that further, it's not just that uh, the relationship, but the land w- was involved as well. Obviously, Patrick Quirk was was farming the land, and there was at that point supposedly a dispute, and he was being told to clear off and uh, get off the land by by two thousand and thirteen. And conveniently, around the time that he's being told to get off the land, he finds a body on the land, um, and and. Just talk to us a bit about that. What what was the dispute with the what was the whole thing over the land? What what was the issue there? Um well I, I can only I can only go by what was being said through the courts and what was being said um by Mary Lowry at the time. Um I remember it wasn't too long before um my niece's uh christening that um Mary had rang my father and said, you know, Bobby, can can I go over to your house or whatever? Um, he's around the land and I don't want to be there. So daddy rang me anyway and he said, look, he said, Mary's on the way over. He said, I said, that's fine. I said, grand, I said, look, I said, I'll meet her above. I said, whatever. Um, you know, for, and from speaking with her that day and then like, I don't know, it was, it, it seems like a series of events or a series of stories, one, one or the other. Um, I'd be kind of saying maybe 60, 40, but that's just the way it is. I, I, I'm not going to contradict anybody's story or anything like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, I just think that it was, it was something gone sour between Mary Lowry and Patrick Quirk and my misfortune. The father just got caught up in the middle of all that. So while you doubt that the, because people be aware of the trial as the love rival trial, you know, the whole thing was Patrick Quirk was jealous that your father was in a relationship with Mary and that's why he killed her. That's people's basic understanding of it, right? But it's far more complicated than that. Um, but d- despite that you, you're not believing that being the prime motive or even the motive, you have no doubt that Patrick Quirk is the man responsible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I've always I've always kind of said that. Um, you know, I'm, and I've always, I've always said that like when when I'm asking, I'm, I'm often asked the question by numerous people, do you think he was involved in it alone? I, my answer to that is no. You know, um, and I'm I'm always going to say that. Um, you believe he had he had help? Yeah. And that was that was like, I think that came to point uh, the day in the trial where there was a, a an accidental picture put up on the, the screens inside in the court and I just saw like how neat daddy's body was you know um I saw like they were showing the the tops of the top of this lid and they, it was it was a concrete lid so like even if that was lifted up a small bit and daddy was pushed in or rolled in he wouldn't have been as neatly placed if that makes sense, that's the description I can give. You know, he, he was he was neatly placed. I remember that moment. Um, I think I was actually there that day um, where a picture of your father's body was accidentally shown to the entire courtroom. Um, am I right in saying that you, you, you had to leave yourself because you just it was just such a I, horrific. I did. It was like it was like we, we were sitting there and they were kind of going through slideshows. If you, if you were sitting there that day, you remember they were going through slideshows of the um of the farm. There was, I don't know, there was sheds and then there was a blue tractor and then there was a kind of a slurry pit. And they were kind of over and back and over and back. And it was like it was like the the defense was 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 saying the words that they, were, they weren't saying, oh, show a picture tree. Show. It was like they were rattling off numbers from what I can remember. And I think that um the the the, the fellow above in charge of the computers, I think that he just it got he got muddled, and I don't actually think I I, I don't know I, I don't actually think that um, photograph was supposed to be in the middle of all them photographs, but I think it was accidentally there, and that's how he was kind of jumping from A to B to C to D, and then somehow picture E 
was was deadly and that wasn't supposed to be the case at all. So it was pure by pure accident, but um I did I remember that day it was horrific. Um I can't unsee what I saw. Do you know do you know that kind of thing? Like we just can't do that. Um it's like it's like a split vision now. It's like in one side of my, my mind I hold on to the memories I have of Daddy when he was alive and then the other side is well he went from a happy, jolly, go lucky man to what we saw that day in the court. I don't want to talk about the whole trial because it's like it's there's so much to it, and there was a mountain of evidence presented to ultimately point to Patrick Quirk's guilt. And again, we could talk about that for hours. Um, but it was one of the longest trials, I think, at the time, the longest trial murder trial in the history of the state. Patrick Quirk was convicted in two thousand and nineteen. Uh, of your father's murder he was sentenced to life in prison um and now here we are 2021 well really it was 2020 the following year he uh was in court again uh, appealing his conviction um and you had to sit through it all again once again unfortunately because of covid you had to sit through it over zoom um well what was that process like to have to you know once again put the man responsible on trial for a second time what was that like for you you know as like as a family um it was as devastating as the actual trial um fair enough there wasn't as much detail there there wasn't like you know there, there was nothing said really that we didn't hear during the trial but like he has the right to appeal yeah we've been told that but it's 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 not it's not fair in a family, you know. And like, we're in a scenario now where we're still the appeal happened in October, you know. We're we're mid April now, and we're still none the wiser as to what this outcome would be. And as a family, and and I'm speaking directly for myself here now because I'm not going to actually bring my family into it. But it's absolutely it's killing it's it's literally taken what i have left and burning it to the ground you know because it's that day like when when the jury is out in de- in deliberations and i remember saying this on the day just like our peace of mind and whether or not daddy can ever rest in peace lies in the hand of 12 of 12 strangers and in this case it i, I don't know if there's anyone else in the scenes but from what I know from the Zoom there was I think there was three judges um, involved in that um, appeal and we don't know what their decision is going to be when they come back is there going to be a retrial is he going to be denied or you know we don't know and we we, like, we don't know what we it's like we're caught, we're caught behind a rock and a hard place now with this and and Patrick Kirk's defence, they pointed out, I think up more than 50, what they said were flaws in the investigation, things that the Gardaí shouldn't have done or, you know, the, and there's too many to, to mention that they brought up. But um, you had your own concerns, is that right, in terms of how the investigation was conducted? And, and in many ways, you're, you're now fearful that that perhaps some of the points raised might actually be taken quite seriously by the by the appeal judges. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There was, uh, I'm going to be careful now on what I say here, but there there was um, two or three um, fair points, and I will say they were fair points, um, because at the end of the day, that these points weren't actually carried out. And I think on that basis, we, we don't know. I, I wouldn't... Like, I'm not worried about the whole 51 or whatever it was, things that are there, but I, I am I am worried about these couple of points. Yeah, I, I'd, be, I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't worried. Um, Are we hopeful that he'll stay where he is? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I do think that these, the judges will see that there is, that there is a, lo- a lot of evidence there on Patrick Quirk still, even though, you know, um, these points were 
kind of overseen negligently, really, if you want to call it a bit. But I think that the judges will ha- will have to see that there is enough evidence to keep Patrick Work in behind bars where he belongs. When you put all of the evidence together, it's quite crystal clear that Patrick Quirk murdered your father, right? But is it frustrating to you that really it is all circumstantial, as they call it, and that a lot of the physical, the DNA evidence, that it, unfortunately, there wasn't enough of it? Uh, and, do you, you know, is that it? Is that a fear for you, you know, in terms of how the judges might look at it? Um, well, circumstantial evidence, yeah, there was... Um, there was a lot of the case compiled on circumstantial evidence. Um, but I think when you compile the circumstantial evidence with, you know, the actual things that were, you know, said in court and, you know, all of this, it, it actually compiles into into one big case. And I think that the that the jury had a very difficult decision to make that day because of the complexity of the case. Um, you know, circumstantial evidence. Um, I, I, I do I do think that weighing it all up, it's kind of like, you know, if you. If you have, I don't know, we call it a pizza and you divide that in half and you put one half in front of yourself and then you want to make the rest. So you had to take small little fragments from the other side, put it, join it up to the one that you have and eventually it becomes a full pie. Is that the fear, you know, that that, that this whole thing could be could be ripped it, from you? It, it is the fear. Yeah, it, it it is the fear. I mean, like uh, like when when daddy first went missing. That became like the my life as I knew it had ended that day. When I found that van at quarter past two on the tour de June, the life I knew. Ended there and then and the life that I now live and have lived since 2011 is justice for daddy and if it comes back that um he's granted the appeal um or or, what, or whatever the case is I don't know what I'm going to do but all I all I know is I'm going to do it do you know what I mean um I know it doesn't make sense in my own head it doesn't even make sense because I was never a part of you know the justice system or I was never part of any of that. I'm like, yeah, I'm relatively still new to it. But all I know about it is um, my father isn't going to be lying in a coffin because of someone putting him there. And there's so, going to be somebody walking away after, what, just under two years of, 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 of imprisonment. No, no, that's not. That's definitely not going to happen in my book. Has the justice system let you down? I think in ways it has. And I'm not I, I'm not just speaking for myself in this. I, I'm speaking for many people of Ireland, when, when I say this, like, I mean, you don't actually know the justice system or how it works until you're actually sitting in the middle of it. And you can see with your own two eyes the way it's happening around you, because we all have a different perception of the courts and of this, that and the other thing. But sitting in the middle of it and you see what way it operates around you and you you go through mental anguish the whole way up along. And then you're told, oh, well, this person has a right to appeal. And I'm kind I'm screaming in my head. The night my father was taken, he didn't have a right to appeal. He couldn't go to the other side and say, I'm not ready to go. I didn't I, I didn't get to say goodbye to my loved ones. They didn't say goodbye to me. Like, I'm not ready to go. Can I appeal this? Like he didn't get that chance. That that, that chance was was taken away from him. And selfishly taken away from him and taken away from us, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it has it, it's failed thousands and thousands of people over the years. Um, like it, you, you, if you take life, you should get it. Like you're convicted through the eyes of a court. Leave it at that. Don't constantly put victims of, of, of such crimes true, constant and more mental language than what they have to live through every day for the rest of their lives anyway. You know, it's, it's, it's just like I would call upon um, the Minister for Justice to meet with any one of us that are a victim of a loved one taken through an act of violence or anything like that and live with us in... For, 
just step into our shoes. We would bring you into our shoes because our shoes are very empty. It isn't as if you'll need a heavy foot to walk our shoes. We, we're, we're constantly in a dark, it's like a dark bubble. We don't get the choice to look forward to anything anymore, let it be a family occasion or anything like that. That's gone because our loved one was taken from us entirely too soon. It wasn't an act of nature or, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. They, they were taken from us. They were put in under, whoever took them from us decided, oh, well, they're not worthy of being given back to their family. I'm just going to throw him down there for 22 months and let the family go through mental torture. You know what I mean? And then for to to get to get that loved one back. Now I t- I do thank God every day of the week, um, that we did eventually get Daddy back. We couldn't see him. To me, my father wasn't in that coffin. Um, I still don't believe he's in there. Like if you if you don't see a thing, you can't actually believe it. Um, but like then to to bring the whole, I have the the stress then in the process of whether or not it'll actually get from. Well, we've arrested him for murder. We need to get this past the line now. This file has to be prepared be over to the DPP. The DPP then has to decide on a charge, whether you know, we, we'll go in for manslaughter or we go in for murder or whatever this is. And then you have to go into the courtroom and you're never given, like you're not told, we definitely have this in the bag. You know, you know, your father is going to get justice or whoever is going to get justice. We don't have that. We have to sit through that trial, hear the most excruciating details of the last few moments of our loved one's lives. And then you have the nail biting and the aggro of when the jury are sent for the deliberations. If they're not back in time, well, then it's is a class as hung jury. You have all this going through you. And then when they come back and they actually say guilty, you still don't know what that means. Like, in our case, it was a case of uh, mandatory life. Like, what's mandatory life in Ireland? Nobody seems to know. D- does he serve the 12 years as as the new um, parole board has introduced for 2021 instead of after moving from the seven years to the 12 years? That's, no, that, that's not, in my book, that's that's not good enough. Life is life. You're, you're, you're well able to take the life of an innocent person. Well, you do that. You man up, get in behind them bears and stop your whimpering. That's where you deserve to be locked in there for the rest of time. You know, how dare you think that you have the right to say, oh, well, I'm entitled to an appeal. And then, no, it would say that the, 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 the appeal is, is denied or whatever. In a couple of years time, I have a right to uh, right here to the parole board. No, you have no right. Your right was your right was taken off of you the time you decided to take my father's right of living and a life. You know, and I, I would appeal to the Minister for Justice to sit down even for an hour because an hour is all that we would need to put her in our shoes and actually give her a sense or give that parole board a sense of our pain. You know, because words, words sometimes do Hit the card that you need. You know, it more than actions. And I, I yeah, I, 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 I just think that somebody going in to serve a life sentence and they serve 12, well, that's not going to be good enough because at the end of the day, you'll always have a fired up family relative, a loved one like me, ready on the pen and the paper to write against in against this no I, I I don't I I'm not accepting this decision I I don't I don't see why you should feel that you have a right to do anything you took my father's rights away from him I'll do whatever I can to keep your rights in behind them bears where you're putting from day one even if he loses this appeal he can do another appeal in the Supreme Court uh, he can take it to the European Court of Human Rights um it, it's it's just a never-ending cycle for you I mean you don't get peace you know that word that 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 word justice it 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 doesn't really it doesn't really ever come does it no the word justice only applies when justice is done and 
justice, in my opinion, is this person has been arrested. There has been um, evidence put against him in a court of law. Um, they have been convicted through that court in the eyes of the law as a criminal. These Supreme Courts, all of this business, that should be like. It should be all looked at, reviewed and decided, well, no, this isn't right. It's not right to put family members through any more mental anguish than what they have to live with every day. You know, the, the, the person will get their appeal. But when the appeal is denied, stay quiet. Do you know what I mean? You, 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 took, it, you took it upon yourself to take the life of an innocent person. Be man enough now to deal with your consequences. You know, that's that's just the way I and, and as I said, I don't know what way to go about it if it comes back denied. But I know I have to do something and I'll always do something like my father was my father. He was my world at the end of the day. And if I have to spend morning, noon and night writing letters or sending emails. I will do that. To ensure that everything that that man does inside in that prison is contested to the highest for my father mm-hmm. very well very well said uh, just very powerful Michelle uh, honestly like I think anybody hearing those words from you would 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 agree with you um, and as you say if the Minister for Justice if she sat down with you for an hour you know she would at least get some lived experience you know um, from from people yeah something mm-hmm something anything like it's 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 very easy for somebody to sit there and say I know what you mean when they haven't lived it when they haven't walked through it in my view is you haven't a clue of it you know um like get get all get family members put them on the parole board because there wouldn't anybody inside in that prison walk the streets again you know what I mean um but like it's something does need to be Something does need to be looked at. I mean, like they can do seven years and then you're 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 getting a letter out saying, oh, they're getting um temporary release on a compassionate ground. A compassionate ground. You you know what I mean? Oh God love out to the family for Christmas. I, our world for Christmas consists of down to a headstone. I, I can't write a letter to the pearly gates and say, well, look, you know, um, my daughter is making her communion in a couple of weeks and um, can I just have daddy back even for just 10 minutes? I can't do that. So there should be no compassionate grounds. There should be none of this. Where's the compassion for the for, 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 for this victim's family, for this, for, for this victim's loved ones? Where's the respect for the victim that lost their life to the hands of this violence and to the hands of this crime? Where's the, the where's the where's the respect for them? Because in my eyes, when they're allowed to have compassionate grounds of leave or absence, because there's a family one that's ill or a debt of a court. No, we don't get that. The loved one that was discarded like a piece of rubbish after their life was taken, they don't get the they don't get a compassionate ground. They don't get nothing. You know, because I can I can speak from my experience, and as you as you know, as you as you're aware yourself, Paul, I'm not a one to mince words. But, um, like my poor misfortune of father, he was he was murdered, his life was taken off him, without a second bat of an eyelid, he was fired in underneath a concrete slab, and he wasn't given another thought for twenty two months. What went wrong after them 22 months, I would love to know. But I can guarantee you something went desperately wrong above there. Do you know what I mean? But like that again, I will always thank God for giving daddy back to us one way or another. You know, but the the, the justice system in Ireland, and I think as, as, as you'll be talking to many people, their views will probably be as strong. That it, the, the laws do need to be looked at. You know, they're, they're, they can and they have the power to do this. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like, they implement the referendums. Like, they, they do all of this. So step to the plate. 
Acknowledge, your, acknowledge Ireland's victims. Give them the respect that they need and the, and the respect that they deserve. You know, because at the end of the day, it's true the justice system. Like, what's the point in having a justice system when that justice system can let these criminals walk all over it and do what they want? appeal for this and write that and write that. Well, I'm sorry to notify you, but I will always be that girl in the background with the pen or with the laptop ready to contest anything you have to put on paper. And I'll fight you through the land if I have to, to keep you where you are. just want to finish it up talking a bit about your dad, because I think this gets uh, lost in it all. You know, the the, the human being that's that's gone here um. How do you how do you remember your dad every day? How do you like to to remember him? Um, I remember him the way he was. Um, the smile, to to, to the smile you hold on to every day, because the smile would just, regardless of what kind of form, if you were having a bad old day or you were just pure naffed off with the day or whatever, and he he'd look at you, you know, and he'd have. He'd have this kind of, it'd be a grin, but it was, it's like, I don't know, it's just like a light that you just look at and he's like, he's like a tonic, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, no, I'd, it's, it's uh, really what takes me through is the last weekend that I ever saw him alive. Um, it was like somebody somebody up up there there is an up there knew that that was going to be me and daddy's last time ever seeing each other and they compacted everything and I mean everything into that one night because they knew I'd have that to hold on to for the rest of my entire life because my father might have been taken from me but you were never ever ever going to take back or take that night away from me. Not unless you take me. And even at that, I'm bringing them memories to the other side with me. When I cross over to meet daddy someday. You know, it'll be, it will be, it will be that memory that um, I'd hold on to every day. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is a happy, it, it, it is. Um, it was like, I don't know, it's, it's very hard to describe it, but it was like all the years rolled into just one. And I can still hear him laughing. I can still see the big smile and I can still feel the heat off him. We're out dancing and I can still feel the heat off him. It's just like, that's what I, that's what's getting me through every day. Is that big smile and that happy, jolly Little fella with the bald head standing in front of me. I used to always make jokes of him, you know. Um, but yeah, that's what's going to um, that's what's going to bring me, and that's what has kept me standing to this day. Is the fact that if the shoe was on the other foot, Daddy would move mountains. So. You know, but it's it's that it's that memory. It's it's the night in in Fox is the last time that I was ever going to see my father alive. That's the way I'm going to remember Daddy was the big smile, the laugh, the joke, the crack. Because like he was never, you'd never see the man with a frown in his face. You know, like nobody that ever knew Daddy could ever say they saw him with a a frown on his face. So yeah, and I think that's and I hope that's the way everybody that knew Daddy will always remember him is that happy, jolly man and not the way that his life was cut short, but the person he was before. Like, I would ask the people to remember Mr. When they see Mr. Moonlight, remember the man that you met that when he was driving the truck or walking down the street or walking in to play at your party or your wedding or remember that man for that title he was at that time. Don't remember the man that he turned out through the trial. The sorrow and poor Bobby, you know what I mean? Remember that jolly face and associate that with the Mr. Moonlight because that's the way I know that Daddy would want to be remembered. He wouldn't want to be remembered for the way his life was taken from him. And I know that that's always going to be around him. I mean, let's, let, of course it is. 
And, um, but like, I know Daddy would want to be remembered for the person he was before that happened to him. Um, Michelle, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Michelle is now awaiting the results of Patrick Quirk's appeal, which took place in November of last year. But she says she hasn't given up on her campaign to get more justice for her father. And she believes there are more people out there who know what happened in her father's final hours. You can find more episodes of Shattered Lives on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts and Deezer. Thank you for listening.